From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 195 of the Killing It podcast. I'm Carl, joined as always by Dave and Ryan. And we just spent half an hour arguing about what our topics should be. <laughs> so we think they're all good. So we think they're good, everybody, because we finally <laughs> we settled like what on. We do. <laughs> we, we, and again, I've said this before, guys. We enjoy listening to this podcast as much as the people who listen to it. So uh, we, we're always fascinated to hear what our opinions are on these topics. What we have to say. Yes. Well, this is our last show before the holiday. So for those that celebrate, Merry Christmas. And I want to throw out there to finish this thought. It wouldn't be Christmas without blank. What would you put in the blank? For me, it's music. I love Christmas music. I listen to it from uh, usually starting in January. <laughs> so, uh, when my daughter lived here, she wouldn't let me play it before Thanksgiving, except when she was out of the house. But uh, I, get, I get heavily into it after August. See, that's uh, I, I have that strict rule of no Christmas movies, no Christmas music before Thanksgiving. But once you get past Thanksgiving, that's immersive, right? Like that is, uh, I, and I do believe as much as I enjoy the movie side of things, I think that you get much more sincere emotional reaction out of the music because it's tradition, it's old, and that's why it's really good. But my specific answer to this question is eggnog. And I know that that's very like polarizing for a lot of people out there. Some like it, some don't. <laughs> if, if it were possible... To live a life where you got all of your calories from eggnog and not die quickly, I would do that. I did well, not know that it was a controversial thing. I, I, I do love eggnog. <laughs> I, I didn't many think people I, who despise eggnog. I didn't think I'd have to answer this one, so I'm gonna also like say like I didn't think this was someone I had to say, but apparently I did, and I'll tell the story of why. It wouldn't be Christmas without a Christmas tree. Here's why I had to put this on the list. I didn't think this was up for discussion until this year when my lovely bride said, well, maybe we shouldn't get a tree this year. I went, what? 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 And she said, well, you know, Spencer, our newer cat, let's go with he's a dick and everything is a toy, right? And oh, last yeah. year was the first year we had him where he was around and he fought the Christmas tree the entire Christmas season. And so Sharon this year, that combined with a coming Christmas, uh, kitchen renovation, she was just sort of like, maybe we just shouldn't do it. I couldn't process this this information. I just simply could not process the idea of having Christmas without a Christmas tree. So we have put up a Christmas tree, and I can say about a week and a half later, Spencer has in fact defeated the lower third of the Christmas tree. Is now entirely barren. I took a picture of the Christmas tree at the beginning. I will take a picture of the Christmas tree at the end, and we will compare the differences because 
he's a dick. Okay. <laughs> I, I just I want Christmas tree cam. I, I just want to see like every day the, the the number of decorations just climbs up and up and up until it's gone. And, and we can start just, over and then do it again. Because we've been moving them up too. That's the other thing. Is last year we let them, him take them off and they would go away. This year we're now moving them up, so the upper half of the tree is getting more crowded, while the bottom band is becoming more and more bare. So I, I just. I got to tell a Christmas tree story super quick, and then we can do a show. So many years ago, we had this cat who was fanatic about mice. And one time this mouse got in the house and it, the cat chased the mouse up into the Christmas tree and then sat there for like seven days, wouldn't move away from the tree, waiting for the mouse to come down. Christmas comes and goes. You know, next year we buy a different tree. We stick it up there. And that cat immediately went there and sat in front of that tree. <laughs> <laughs> Pavlov's cat, not just Pavlov's dog. Exactly. Well played, cat. Well played. <laughs> PCmatic endpoint security built on a zero trust default deny foundation. Finally, a lightweight, simple to deploy, and easy to manage approach to application allow listing. The perfect complement to your current security stack. No minimums and no annual contracts. Find out more by visiting pcmatic.com slash MSP today. Well, our first story, I guess I'm going to I'm going to theme this intoxication and hangover. So, we're in the period of intoxication with chatbots and fake accounts and AI and LinkedIn. Uh, we're going to we're going to put a link to an article here is completely overwhelmed by fake accounts and these are for the most part AI generated bots. They removed 21 million accounts between January and June which is a 28% increase compared to the previous six months. Uh, so holy smokes. Um, the, and the problem is not just the LinkedIn problem, it's an everyone problem. And I think for me, I would frame it in terms of, we love AI when it helps us, but we're in this period where we haven't figured out how to keep it under control and maybe we never will, uh, but, but it, in my opinion, it removes some of the authentic experience, not just from LinkedIn, but from all social media and everything we do. And so this affects you if you are a user, but it affects you even more <laughs> if you have money on the line, if you are an advertiser and all of your clicks go to little chatbots in China and little cell phones program to uh, pump up your uh, clicks uh, and take away all your money when no human being even sees it. It's a, it's a real problem, and it's a bigger problem for smaller companies who can't afford to just flush all of their ad spend down the toilet. So I have I, I want to throw this out because I, I, I spend too much time thinking about uh, social media companies, partly because because I just enjoyed the the idea, and I've always I, I'm. I am intrigued by the idea of using systems to connect people. I've always, that's why I like technology, right? And, and so what I, somebody, I read an article recently in The Atlantic thinking about the, the, that mentioned the difference between social media and social networking. Remember when we called these products social networking tools? When the idea behind them was the idea of creating connections between people. And somewhere around there, it became about the media more than the connections. And we now we refer to these as social media companies where we are consuming content based on them. 
they are in fact two different problems the idea of, of promoting media versus leveraging connections and i think it's i think we're missing some of the initial reasons that we invested in social networking products and additionally i think there is a space for somebody to be doing something around identity driven social networking i i will freely admit i would pay the for linkedin to help me to help verify that I'm talking to people and that I am a person and I would pay for that service, right? In order to have some level some guarantee to that and then consequences around it. I'm not against the idea of bot augmentation, right? I like the idea of using technologies we've talked about with AI and with, with machine learning and information that's giving to make me a better human when I communicate with present information to me. But I don't want to always, I don't want to communicate with a bot unknowingly uh, or with someone who is, has put that in front. And I think there is a space here for the creation of products and communication methods that emphasize identity and authenticity. See, Dave, I think you are, you are saying out loud what the entire industry realizes that a certain somebody who spent $44 billion unwisely to buy one of these tools, um, it is possible to justify the value proposition of paying for verification, right? That, that is a model that can work and the consumer wants it, the, the individual participants want it. I think it's a, it, it's a valid thing. But I, I'm going to go, I think there's a third layer here, right? Because, Carl, I think the advertising problem that you indicate is a very big deal. I think the loss of the value of networking is a big deal. But I also want to say, in the spirit of the, the elephant that nobody wants to admit, the majority of what goes on on LinkedIn from an individual participant point of view is stuff you intentionally hide from your current employer. What is the purpose of LinkedIn? To find your next gig, right? And if you are putting that out there in the public world and your existing boss sees that, they're going to go, hey, stop it with the networking for getting a new job on my time using my computer that I issued to you. It is stuff we naturally, by definition, hide from our employer. That means that the cybersecurity problems that could be associated with these bots are radically outsized, right? It's not just a question of the quantity, which is mind-boggling how what percentage of LinkedIn is fake. But you know that they're not just using that as honeypots for ad clicks. They're also using that to deploy malware, to deploy social engineering techniques and use it to breach all of your corporate systems. Well, it's hard enough to get your humans to just stop clicking on stupid stuff in a ransomware world. Imagine if the human looks at you in the face and says, totally understand what the security protocol is. I completely understand that I'm going to intentionally, aggressively violate that policy so that I can go out and find a new gig and leave all y'all charged remains of your security protocol in my wake when I leave. I think this has cybersecurity implications that people are just beginning to understand. I think that's true. I will say, I don't think that's the purpose of LinkedIn anymore. I think it used to be. Uh, today, there's lots of legitimate promotion and discussion going on on LinkedIn. Um, and, and for me, I'm happy to pay for it. I wish that I could force everything that I, I subscribe to to have an option where you check the box and you only interact with people who have paid. Because, you know, and I can tell you this 
this is not a dating site uh, discussion, but on the dating sites, one in a thousand profiles is real. And it's because there's no, there's literally, and that's not an exaggeration, there's no cost to creating a profile with a chat bot and, right? The, the, the main thing, the, the, the big issue is not that people are gonna use LinkedIn to directly infect computers, but they lure people to other sites and there the trouble begins. Well, this that, is not a dating show. So that is for another time. I'm gonna move it, <laughs> based on time, I'm gonna move this on to topic number two. And I wanna talk a little bit about AI and it's the, the new space that we're, we've been looking at for creation and how we, <laughs> we differentiate uh, the value of what it's creating when at some level it can be compared with the devalue of some of the content that is being created. And what I wanna reference is there's a, uh, this idea of fluent BS. <laughs> where where uh, we actually have seen a lot of content that is created that is, in fact, just handwritten BS, right? It is designed to SBSEO traps or designed to be filler content. And at some level, are we f being intrigued by this because we've now simply automated away something that has been created? So I have a friend in the uh, PR business and he dropped a client and it's a big name client that you've heard of because they wanted their marketing material to be uh, this kind of thing where it's literally, it's got so many keywords in it that you've eliminated. There's no room for verbs and things, you know? And, and as a result, it became useless gibberish, but, uh, you know, so he, they can't have this kind of promotion in the real world, in the printed world, um, but they still have it online. And there are companies, big, big companies, paying money for AI bots to, you know, game the system, if you will, by being the answer to every question. And again, it's sort of like tricking people to their site. Um, and if you haven't seen the chat GPT, uh, chatbot that is open source, it's worth a look. Um, and it's it's surprising how it, it almost looks like you're writing uh, those uh, foreign language versions of instructions for putting something together after Christmas. Um, it's kind of sort of English, but not quite there. And, um, but it's getting better. Well, and it is getting better. You would imagine in the science of large language models and the way we train AI, it will get exponentially better faster than any of us is prepared for. We look at it and say, well, it took us all these years to get to this point, And it's only, it's totally discernible that it came from a bot and not from a human. But the way that AI works is that it learns logarithmically and it will be fluent before you know it. So now is the time to start thinking about this. I, I, I will say that if, uh, if if you got my mother into a one-on-one -on -one conversation and you asked her to explain what it is that I do for a living, fluent BS yeah, that might would be, be a pretty BS. accurate. She would be okay with that description. She's like, uh-huh, that kind of says what he does. He gets paid to talk, and some of it is is actually based on real stuff, right? And aside from that, I, I, I would again, I would look at this in two ways. One, people are looking at this as a disruptive technology that will challenge Google for the throne of search because Google search is just a bunch of links 
because their business model is built on the click-through and that's how they get paid. Whereas this one doesn't send you off to another random place. It just gives you the freaking answer and it's actually complete and it's pretty compelling. Okay, I'm not going to say that they're going to defeat Google, but I think that they are going to eliminate or make <laughs> render irrelevant Google's current business model. Because imagine if the that SEO stuff, Dave, that you're talking about is actually composed by this AI. A human doesn't have to wonder anymore about what will get you to the top of Google's rankings. The bots do it absolutely automatically and human-generated content can never break the first page of the search results. People are going to stop paying Google when it's utterly impossible to win the game. The second thing is, you know how we do... Uh, in our industry, we're always looking at phishing emails and uh, social engineering and cybersecurity threats where an email message comes in and you, you're looking at the URL and you're trying to discern, did they say something that wasn't quite fluent grammatically in order to imagine when this bot gets so fluent that your tools for tossing out phishing emails can no longer identify which things are fake because they just are that legitimately realistic. I think this is going to spiral to a level of, uh, we, Carl, to your point, we better get a control on this before it gets to that level of fluency or else all of our current expectations around what we parse in content to identify legitimacy, that's all going to go out the window. Well, it's, inter it's interesting because I, I think, again, to our previous topic where it's like i will pay for some level of authenticity like i think there that i am i am willing to to pay and i think we may end up in a situation where content gets valued again based on you know at some level where it's like well no i will pay for for curated human content I, i'll say like because i i am a believer in the hybrid right like i'll say proudly I write all my own stuff. A human writes stuff. Everything that I've ever published is written by a human. Uh, but I w don't mind saying I use Grammarly. Like, right, I actually really like Grammarly because it, it runs through all my documents with me and it makes recommendations about tightening up and grammar. It's a, it's a great editor, uh, which I often need an editor. Uh, <laughs> uh, As so, do we all. Right, so I'm happy to have one. Um, but at this, but but I believe that you know that, that there will be value in added systems which verify this. I was I was literally just working on a piece for Business of Tech where it's around an AI image generator that is doing authenticity authenticity and validation because they want to use it with intellectual property. The idea is to be able to not just have drop you into a science fiction realm, but actually make you a Muppet, like a, a licensed Jim Henson Muppet. And it's like, you can see a marriage of intellectual property combined with these AIs to create some level of value. But one of the things they've added to the technology is, yes, and we will also often uh, create authenticity tracking as part of this and they're using the blockchain right that's what it is for right is for for actually doing these kinds of ledger bits so there's a gap here to create additional value on top of these engines where you are saying hey we're going to actually validate humans that's kind the of other thing we're, we're kind of in this era now and it's going to get worse before it gets better which is again intoxication and hangover that I think that there are some chatbots that are kind of like they sort of basically do a job, but they they are not great. And you've all done it. 
you go to the little help thing and then the thing pops up and you've got a very frustrating problem and you put in a question and it says, oh, try these six articles. And you try the six articles and they're stupid and unrelated. And so you're like, no, uh, I really actually had this very, very specific issue. And it says, oh, you should try these five articles, which is five of the previous six articles, right? <laughs> and, you know, rinse, repeat until you decide that you're just going to burn down the entire computer structure, right? Uh, like those bots are going to be everywhere because they're going to get cheaper. And unfortunately, until somebody pays for them to get better, all the growing knowledge that, that, you know, like you were talking about, Ryan, that algorithmically they're getting better and better and better, or they could be, but once that somebody pays for one, it doesn't get any better until they pay for it to get better. And so, uh, you know, it's going to be a while and, and we're the generation that has to go through the most painful piece of this become, before they become truly useful. And I have seen some bots online that are amazing. And I, and whenever I see one, I like, I make a note, okay, save that as an example, because it was awesome and it did the job and it was quick and efficient. And actually I wouldn't, I wouldn't have cared if there was a person back behind it or not, right? That's where we need to get to. Um, not that I don't like people, you know, but, you know. <laughs> but, but that's the thing, right? I, I completely recognize the business model and the justification for these things, taking out the, the inconsistency in the cost of human labor, totally get where that's coming from. And we just have to remember that there has never been a tool invented that will not be misused before it is properly used. That is the way that our industry goes. But we're gonna move on to our third topic here. And in this one, guys, we're gonna talk about what happens next. Uh, we're, we're all reading the headlines about what's going on in the economy, what's happening in the technology industry, and specifically whether or not we're all going to be okay in 2023. My question is not, why did we get into this downturn or this period of uncertainty? My question is, what happens next? And in the show notes, we're going to link to an article here that, uh, that I think uh, tells a very, very interesting story because they're focusing in specifically on how unlikely it is that big tech specifically, we all know them as the FANG stocks, Facebook and Apple and et cetera, et cetera, right? Like we've all been tracking them as these hyper growth organizations that have led the stock market rally for the last X number of 15, 18 years, right? They've been driving value, and the contention in this article is they will not be the standard bearers that lead us out of any downturn that we're about to experience. My question to you guys is, is that bad news? Is that opportunity? Or is it actually not true? And are these guys going to be the bellwethers? You mean it's shocking that five companies that were picked only because they were growing really fast uh, cannot necessarily always solve all the problems. I mean, you kind of have to laugh at, like, again, look, I say this a lot because I think it's important. Investors are gamblers. They are not any smarter than the rest of us. They like to think they are. They like to portray that they are. They are not. I mean, in fact, you know, like often the vast majority of the, these these investment firms can be outperformed by dead people, right? By not touching your money over a long period of time. So uh, now that we've broken down all the arbitrariness of like, I actually want, want uh, analysts and investors that talk about this to be much more intelligent about talking about 
technology firms. Let me observe that Netflix is not a technology firm. They are a media firm, right? They are a media firm. They are not a tech company, right? I think that that's super important to break them out and say they aren't. Amazon as a whole, like is, is actually much more of a re an online retailer than they are a technology company until you spin AWS. That's your headline business, right? And most, most of the time you're looking at investors saying like, we're going to measure you based on your headline business. I want to, if you want to talk about technology companies, I think it might make some sense for us to talk about, uh, Google, uh, Microsoft and Apple in some kind of related bit. I think that there's some looseness there, but I can lump them together. Let me observe that uh, Meta is also not a technology company. They're a media company by my own definition from from before, right? So so these are these are different companies. I want to actually analyze them by the products that they create. If we're going to talk about technology company, where's I want Microsoft, right? I want Microsoft in this number. I want to have a conversation about Microsoft. I want to have a conversation about Apple. I want to have a conversation. Perhaps we want to throw in Intel, uh, AMD. We have, we have a couple of these other, you know, maybe right. Dell. Like we actually like put in some actual technology companies that, that build technology, <laughs> you know, and then let's analyze big media. Let's analyze, you know, other other let's let's analyze the stream like the media streamers, right? I think that would be an interesting analysis. But this kind of arbitrary, like, hey, we've thrown five companies together. Yeah, it needs to end. Well, and why they focused on Fang? It, it's it's almost like let's just tell Bloomberg. Uh, by the way, this is the last article ever on Fang because it's stupid, right? <laughs> I mean, the, right. the reality is, first of all, Dave, you're completely correct that. Some of these companies are not tech companies. They just happen to use tech. Well, you know, so does ADP and every other company on earth. I think the real thing is that when they get to the, the, the nugget, which they believe the nugget is the companies that got us here won't get us somewhere else, right? That they're not going to lead us out of this blah, blah, blah. Well, okay. But the reality is that if you go back 10 years, there's a 40% turnover in the fortune 500. Right. The Fortune 500 gets remade year after year after year. And so we should expect that going forward. Who's going to get us out of whatever recession we go through? Well, it's going to be different tech companies. It's going to be Ford selling you a $90,000 vehicle that can power your house. Right. And it's all electric. Right. It's going to be the next generation of batteries. It's going to be the next generation of solar or fusion. Right. Technology is always going to be getting us to the next level, but it's not going to be the same companies that got us here. And I would note also that I'm completely in favor of looking at this and saying, forget the, the, the fang and just look at Microsoft and Apple and you will see companies that can outperform that 5%, the 10%, the 15%, even though they are worth billions and soon trillions each. Uh, you know, so just stop talking about Fang. Let's go find something else to talk about. Please. See, and, and this is the thing, right? I, I, will, I will go exactly where you guys are going. It's not about those big companies, but it is a broader statement on the evolution of the technology industry. And this speaks directly to those of you in our audience who run a technology services business every single day. If you are platinum this and gold that and status in a vendor that's already got market leading status and they are, you, nobody ever got fired for buying dot, dot, dot in 
Do you notice how those companies change from generation to generation? If your business model is entirely predicated on continuing to sell technologies from the people who built the, the era of technology that is just ending, you are about to be just ending. Right. And I, I want to say that as bluntly as possible, because, right, Carl, you, you know this cliche as well as, as anyone, because we've all lived through this. Right. Nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. I think they might today in certain cases because they are not leading their categories anymore. That one morphed in the 90s and the early 2000s into nobody got fired for buying Cisco. And while they still have very large market share. Is anybody accusing Cisco right now of being the company that's about to take us into the future of technology? They are not. And what that means is if you are not looking at the next generation of up and coming technology companies, you're about to be yesterday's news. Clayton Christensen wrote the book, The Innovator's Dilemma, for a reason, because it happens. It is not the market leaders of one era who lead us into the next era. They are the ones playing defense, protecting their install base, not releasing new technologies because of the brand danger and, and, and it's disrupting my existing cash flow and things like that. But it's the young, hungry upstarts who come in and say, you know, um, I don't have any legacy business to protect, so I'm going to go 100% into this new business model, this new technology, and I'm going to move much faster, much more just hell-bent for leather in this model while everybody else is being cautious, this is a time. I, I've been saying this in a number of forums recently. I believe we are at the end of an era and the beginning of the next in the technology industry. All the safe bets, all those places where all y'all got advanced certifications and program recognitions that you've been doing business with for years and years, might want to kick the tires a little bit on those things and be willing to consider a competitor. And I want to want to observe, like you know, there there is a lot of fle more fresh blood out there than you might think. In fact, I'm going to cite uh, Kaseya's data new global state of MSP report. I actually had a data point in that nearly a quarter of the respondents to it reported that they had been in business for less than five years. That's actually a pretty sizable number for an industry that we're always talking about having, uh, you know, such an established presence. It's like, well, wait a second, a quarter of those respondents are less than five years old. Uh, well, that's the young upstart that's that's to be that considered. Is, and that's, you know, from refreshing and, you know, you, you've probably seen this too, refreshing my list, uh, a good chunk. And it's sometimes in, you know, year to year between 10 and 25 percent of the list go out of business every year and they need to be replaced. <laughs> so, yes, they do. Uh, well, and, and I'd say this, if you're looking for a killer metric to really put this at home for our audience, what percentage of your top line revenue do you currently capture that comes from things that you did not do at all two plus years ago? If you are not constantly refreshing your revenue model, it is constantly atrophying and it's going to be a problem. And with that, genius comment, we come to the end of episode 195 of the Killing It, Killing it. podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.